to another episode of Two Brothers Review, the podcast. I'm Reed Turley. And I'm Ty Turley. Close enough to touch Reed. I'm not, though. Wise enough not to. Yeah. <laughs> not touching him. No. Uh, we're going to be talking about Nightmare Alley. But before we get to that one, Ty, what is your favorite Bradley Cooper movie? Well, my favorite... I mean, I really loved his appearance in Licorice Pizza. <laughs> it was the highlight of that film for me. He was very weird. But I would also say Silver Linings Playbook is great. Okay. I liked A Star is Born. I think he was good in that. I think he did, did good stuff. I mean, other people thought that too. I don't know. Not the movie for you. It's a little too depressing. Talking about uh, d- depressing movies. Yeah. How was Nightmare Alley? Uh, I felt I left Nightmare Alley with a real pit in my stomach. For real. Oh. You? I thought it was pretty upsetting, and not there's no real redemption. Does anyone come out ahead? I guess the doctor, the psychologist, wins, according to her metrics. But probably makes her a worse person. But she's like, yeah, twisted and manipulative. Yeah. And a bunch of people die. Rooney Mara gets away. We don't know what happens to her life. Yeah. I'm hopeful for her. Okay. I mean, she has friends. I'm sure she went back to her friends. The major? Bruno? No, Bruno's the... The major's the small guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying two. Okay, I got it. I got it. Yeah. Well, we (laughs) dove right into the end of this movie. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I mean, do you like Guillermo del Toro? I think I liked Pan's Labyrinth when I saw it. Uh, The Shape of Water is pretty weird. He's a dark dude, I think. I'm starting to realize he's not my filmmaker. (laughs) He's not my guy. I mean, I think he likes sort of psychological, you know, twisted fantasy. And yeah, dark. Well, I was surprised. I was expecting more fantasy in this film. I thought it was, there's no fantasy, really. That's true. All the carnival acts are real or, you know, practical. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. I thought there was going to be magic or the, the poster makes it look like Bradley Cooper's transforms into some weird creature. But it doesn't happen, obviously. Just the twisted... The cruelty psych- of humans. Yeah, the psychology of it, I guess. Um, yeah, I thought, and also Nightmare Alley. I don't know. I didn't see the original. That I guess this is a remake. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah, this is a remake. And I haven't seen the original one. Um, but I just felt like I was expecting more scares, too. Kind of more, maybe like a Halloween movie because of the name. I don't know. There were no, like, ghosts jumping out or... Well, Nightmare Alley, they reference it in the... In the movie, it's where they find down on their luck drunks to recruit to become the geek, right? Yes. And, you know, the culmination of this movie, Bradley Cooper becomes the geek at the end. Yes. And so just this whole experience is what drove, I don't know, I guess I, I kind of was not surprised about that shift. No. I knew he was going to be the geek from the time when the, when, um, the guy explains to him how he recruits him. I was like, okay, that's how it's going to end. Yeah. I thought it was going to be more metaphorical where 
Kate Blanchett's doctor character, like, you know, slowly tricked him with power and then was, you know, use him. But they made it very literal by the end. Yeah. I, yeah, I just felt like a setup. But also, okay. I, I mean, I also guess I thought he was going to die because of the tarot card reading. And then he didn't die. I don't know. I was torn. But when the tarot card reading happened where he gets the hung, hung, hanged man upside down, I was like, okay, he's either going to be the geek at the end or he's going to die or both. And I, uh, I guess you never, you don't see any of the carnival characters again, like Willem Dafoe's gone and it, you see his baby and the, the, the baby and like the formaldehyde, the super disgusting. What does that baby mean? I mean, they they name him a Bible character, Enoch, right? Who kills his mother? Yeah, but what is the power of that? Is it is it a symbol for something? Is it just creepy? I don't know if I know the story well enough to read into it. <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like it was it's just creepy more than meaningful. Maybe I would say. Yeah, I thought. I mean, the movie definitely has these sort of two halves, where he gets in with all the the carnies, he learns his trade. And then the second half, you know, there's a time jump and it's them in upstate New York and kind of him, his interactions with the doctor and high society. Did you have one half that you liked more than the other? Mm, I don't know. I mean, not strongly, but I guess I thought the first half was more fun. I think it's just more engaging because you're meeting all these different characters. You're seeing this world that's unusual. I, I liked the first half more. Yeah, I mean, you get the kind of the critique of the industrialists or whatever that era. Um, with this, they're not they're not the big ones because they're in Buffalo, New York, obviously. But um, well, maybe the big ones were there. What do I know? I didn't recognize any of those names from actual history. Oh yeah, I'm sure there were <laughs> famous industrialists like Carnegie or some third generation Rockefeller that they're scamming. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I think, I mean, I think it's also, you definitely see it, the, the planting of the idea that he's going to end up being like that. Like he wanted to take his act to the next level. He wanted to do it. And I can't remember. He said something weird, like we can play every ballroom or every hotel or something, which he hadn't, I don't know. I hadn't really seen that up to that point. They were more carnival out in the middle with tents. And I guess he understood that there was a way to make money going to fancier places. I think David Strathairn had said he did his act kind of across Europe. Oh, yeah. And was, you know, was out on his own, was not part of a carnival. Yeah. So there's that sort of hope, I guess, you know. And that promise uh, to Rooney Mara's character was real, too. Like, she was excited about that chance. Yeah. I don't know if the... um him having the book seemed to be important in the first half, but then it never shows up in the second half, which I thought was weird. Oh, I thought she was studying out of it, and they were working out of it. Oh, at the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah, but it, like, it never, like, no one finds it and realizes he's been lying, or... Well, I thought the thing was, David Strathern's character warns him that, that, that this book is dangerous. There's, you know, things in here that... I can't remember exactly how he said like it. That's where the, the fantastical element could yeah. come in. Yeah. So I thought, I thought he was going to get that book and it was going to have the secret to doing things that were really evil maybe, or, or at least supernatural. But then it just never, that never paid off. I didn't think. 
No, no, you're right. That would have been an interesting twist. Like what was in there that was so dangerous? Is it just because there's this interesting layer in this film of um, maybe religious or puritanical feeling like, you know, we can't do something at odds with God's way or right. I was just surprised that all the, a lot of the carnies and David Strathern's character, that was a limit for them. You know, you're not going to do something that's, that's against God. Um, and it seemed like lying to people and pretending to know about their dead relatives when they when you don't seemed obviously morally wrong to people. I don't know. It didn't seem like, or in my mind, it doesn't seem like such a bright line. There's, it's all shades of gray. They were still lying to people, but somehow the lying that they did wasn't bad as long as you didn't pretend you were talking to their dead relatives. Well, and I think they, they do take that moment. I mean, this is a, moves the plot forward too, but the judge and his wife, um, it, he, you know, it's sort of like inception. He implants this idea that they're going to be with their son when they're dead. So the judge's wife murders the judge and kills herself. Like, yeah, it is sort of that power of persuasion or power. I don't know. You think it seems obviously a, a bigger moral step than just lying to them about how they do the trick. Uh, I guess I don't know if that's real, but in the story, I understood it. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. It doesn't. You're like, no, just do it. Well, it just seems like one more lie. The, the, the whole thing is a lie. I mean, he knew he was a liar. I don't think, I don't think Bradley Cooper's character had any, obviously he didn't have any misgivings about no, taking, would, taking the lying one more step. He would do anything. Yeah. But for everyone else, it seemed like that was a big deal. Well, then do you think, the doctor, Kate Blanchett's motivation was driven off of revenge or I, it wasn't the money, although it was sort of the money. She kept a bunch of the money. Yeah. She kept all the money eventually. Well, she was going to give him, if he would have walked out with ones or do you think she never wanted him to walk out? I don't know. Cause she, she uses the voice. Like she says something in that other voice and gets him to turn around. Yeah. I mean, I think she, I think I assumed it played out the way she predicted and wanted I thought she might have been like the embodiment of the devil eventually. Like that's just because, you know, Guillermo del Toro is a weird guy. I don't know. She's a victim. It felt to me like it was framed in such a way where we should pity her because she was, I mean, uh, that guy, they hinted at so much evil. Like he's not someone you want to mess around with. And he admits to hurting girls. And he admits to hurting girls, but we don't, and we see the scar, but, I mean, I think that's probably the most terrifying thing is like, what does that guy do and why? And how does he find people? And that's all left. You just vague. don't know. Yeah. I would, I would have liked to have seen or understood that better. Um, but, but the little that we do know makes you sympathetic to Kate Blanchett's character, right? I think she's twisted. She sympathetic's hard because she manipulates Bradley Cooper pretty, pretty well. Yeah, but she's super damaged. I don't know. I, I didn't see the twist coming that she was. I thought, I thought, you know, Bradley Cooper's the hero of the movie. It was kind of a, that was a reversal I didn't see coming where she ends up being, getting him, manipulating him and winning. Well, and just like that, she, um, well, and that she like knew what was happening the whole time. Like, oh, you thought you were so much better than me, but really like she was a total mastermind. Yeah. And, and, 
she probably wanted those people killed. I mean, she used him to get, especially that guy, that therapist. Yeah, but again, why? Sorry, not the therapist. The guy that she gave therapy to. But why? Why did he hurt her? Oh, it's, it's, that's, now that I'm thinking about it, like that is very dark and twisted. And we don't understand it at all. We no. just see hints of it. No, we don't. Um, and that guy, his, um, the industrialist bodyguard who warns Bradley Cooper to be careful and don't, don't, like, I love my, my master, whatever. Um, he's a guy who's in a lot of films as kind of a tough guy enforcer, right? Yeah. What's, what's he in? He's in something there. The Netflix show, um, about serial killers. No, I wouldn't have watched that. He's in something else where he's a tough guy. Anyway, uh, yeah. anyway, um, I mean, they were defending themselves when they killed that. Well, no. Yes. I think was, it was all self-defense. It was all self-defense. Yeah. So to me, that didn't seem so bad. Like I understood what Bradley Cooper's character was doing. It's the manipulation that put them in that situation though. Like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> they shouldn't have been there ever. I don't know if people are gullible enough to believe you. Take their money? Yeah. Okay, con man. I, is it conning them? Yes. <laughs> I think so. Well, I mean, if you're a mentalist, that's what you do. Yeah. You, I mean, it's all a fake thing. So if someone's going to believe that you're a mentalist, they're already... They, des- they deserve it, I think. I would never become a mentalist, but... Okay. What, uh... If you had to pick one of those carnival shows to perform in, what is... <laughs> Which would you do? Get out of here. You gotta tell me. I'd be the acrobat. Is there an acrobat? We see the guy that's real bendy, the snake man. No, I wouldn't be him. That wouldn't be any of the gross ones. <laughs> There's one where you're, it was just a white face inside of like a rope net pretending to be a spider. I feel like that'd be pretty low key. Yeah, that was, that was pretty easy, but how creepy was the stuff that she was saying? <laughs> I didn't listen to my parents. Oh yeah, it's like, I didn't listen. It's all this like pure. It is very puritanical, and even like the fun house is all like, see hell. what the seven sins will do, and yeah, what hell is like. Yeah, which I mean, probably in the nineteen thirties to forties, there was some weird religious revival around the Great Depression. I don't know. If, well, I don't know. I haven't. I don't remember learning about that. I I just think at the time Americans were more religious. Yeah, it's interesting. Also, to I thought. As I was watching it, um, I thought about how the director's uh, Mexican, and it felt like a very American story. I wonder if he just enjoys, or what is the pull that American culture has? Where I feel like a lot of directors, I guess that's because America has the money to fund films, but he makes a story about very much Americana. You know, these carnivals have a lot of historical meaning in America, but I don't think they do other places. I don't know. You're beyond uh, beyond. Beyond me there. <laughs> I mean, did you think it was weird that a Mexican director is doing this story? No, he, I mean, it was a book. He probably liked the movie as a kid. He's attracted to dark stories. That doesn't, it's not crazy. Okay. <laughs> I want him to do a movie about, you know, the Day of the Dead in Mexico or something. That'd be good. Get him $150 million and he'll do it. And bet he can anytime he wants. Do you think this, I don't actually, I have no idea about the cost of this movie. I mean, it seems mostly practical. Like, wouldn't be too expensive. I don't know. I haven't heard. Okay. Uh, any other things about this one you liked or disliked? 
No, I mean, I, the camera was always kind of gently moving. I noticed that, definitely. I thought that was interesting. He loves that kind of floating camera. Does, yeah. does it make you feel like you're more observant, or...? Well, I think it makes you feel like like you're sneaking around, or you're you're there. Yeah. More engaged. Interesting. Okay, Ty, what are you going to rate Nightmare Alley out of five? I'm going to give it a three. Oh, because of the darkness or the unanswered questions? Are you asking, like, why is it so high or why is it so low? You tell me. <laughs> I just I just thought it was, I, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone because of leaving with such a bad feeling. Just a, I just think it's not uplifting at all. And, yeah, and then... I mean, it's beautiful. There's a lot of... I think the production design is amazing. Um, but I don't, I don't know if... If I was Guillermo del Toro... If he was here, I would ask him, why make this film? Why this story? Good questions. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. I thought... I've thought about it more since I left the movie. I feel like it just stay, kind of stays with you. It makes you think. I appreciate that. And I don't know. Yeah, it's dark, but compelling. It's interesting. I, I liked it. Uh, I, I remember also feeling like it was way too long. I mean, that was a huge. <laughs> it was so slow. It could have been definitely a half an hour shorter or more. Yeah. Is that because our theater was hot? Our theater was so hot. <laughs> I was like dying by the end of it. I was ready for yeah. it to end earlier. Okay. Uh. What else do you have to recommend you've been watching, reading, or listening to? Well, I saw a movie recently that probably might be available to Americans at some point, but it's called The Gravedigger's Wife. It's the Somali film, and uh, it was awesome. It's very good. It's, it's very understated, as most good international films are, but, you know, it's not a big, huge plot, but he... Uh, it's about a gravedigger who's very poor, and his wife gets cancer, and he's trying to raise the money to save her, and just shows how limited his options are. It's gonna be, it's gonna be Somalia's um, Oscar nominated, or they're they're submitting sending it in, submitting it. Yeah. Okay. So on point for Ty. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna recommend a book I read this fall. Um, from the writer of The Martian, Andy Weir. It's called Project Hail, Project Hail Mary. And he does an interesting, I mean, all, his books are sort of sci science. Sci, like really emphasizes the science in sci-fi. Sci so I kind of like that. But it's also fi? As in fiction, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's not real. It's not a, it's not nonfiction. <laughs> But the, but the science is nonfiction. Like, the, the it's real science. It should be real, I think. Yeah. I guess I'm not much of a scientist, so I don't totally know that, but he writes very confidently. Good. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll see it on the big screen soon. That's right. Um, all right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Two Brothers Review, the podcast. I'm Reed. I'm Ty, and I touched Reed. Oh, my gosh. Bye. Bye. Bye.